Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 through 14. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, and see that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. All right. Thank you, Clint, so much for doing that. So what I love is that Clint walked up here in his plaid pajamas, and then I've got this sweater thing on, very contrasting, but I'm going to explain that in a minute. So our gospel youth just had a plaid party, and we want to be able to invest in our youth and our kids and be able to disciple them in Jesus. And the reason I am wearing this sweater, I don't normally wear a tie on Sunday. I've grown up in Alaska all my life. I usually don't wear a tie. And I usually don't wear something like this. But the reason I'm doing it today is, first of all, one of the, the, the young gals who was at the plaid party wasn't sure if she wanted to wear her plaid pajama pants. I said, if you wear your plaid pajama pants, I'm going to wear my sweater. So I'm wearing that, first of all, for her. Secondly, and probably more importantly, I'm wearing it to honor all of you. The reason I got this sweater is because I graduated, or at least had my graduation ceremony from my se- seminary a month and a, ha- a couple of weeks ago. And the reason that I was able to go through two years of seminary is largely due to Radiant Church. And the other reason that um, I'm wearing this is to honor those who are at my seminary. The G stands for Grimke. Um, it's, the seminary was named after Francis Grimke, who served as a pastor in the D.C. area around the turn of the century, who has a, amazing writings and amazing testimony. You, I doubt many of you have ever heard of him, and I'd encourage you to go look and, and learn a little bit more about him, because he's someone worth honoring with the seminary. Um, but through these last two years, I've gotten to know a lot of brothers, um, our brothers in Christ, who are... Um, not just Grimke men, but they call us gospel men. That's what we represent. And what Grimke does in educating us is to serve you guys. That by them pouring into me, I'm here to pour into you here at this church. So, hopefully it's not too much of a distraction. But I also told those guys, I'm like, the first time I come back to preach, I'm going to wear my sweater, my graduation sweater. That's what I'm going to do. So, that's what that's all about. <laughs> Thank you. So we are getting near to wrapping up a series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks. It's called Why Church? And the heart behind it is we want to take our identity statement that we are a family of missionary servants sent to make disciples and make disciples and to go to scripture, use scripture like a mirror in front of us and ask ourselves, 
Are we being and doing what God has called us to be and do? And when you have those conversations, especially if you've heard the language often, it's easy to skate on by and be like, yeah, sweet, I already know that. I've got the knowledge about it. I'm good. But as with many things that are important to Jesus and what he cares about, we often have to go layers deep. We have to be willing to sit and listen and ask ourselves the hard questions, even ones that seem real basic. So over the last few weeks, we've asked, we started out by asking a basic question of why church And I encourage you to go back and listen to that message because it went in deep to the church was in God's mind right from the beginning of Genesis. That there is a purpose, a deep purpose in what he's called us to be and do that's beyond just, hey, gather on a Sunday at a specific time. We asked the question, why gospel-centered? Why is the gospel important? Why family? Why mission? Why gather? Why serve? And then this last one might be a little surprising, maybe not, It's why suffer. That's a hard one to ask, especially as we enter in this Christmas season when, especially the way we are culturally, we want to think about things that are more joyous. And, um, you know, whether it's a flavor of latte or the, the colors that are around town, the decorations that are happening. But there are also people who are suffering during this time. Sometimes it's the holidays that are the, the toughest for people. But we're going to go in a specific direction with suffering. The reality is is that every human, because we live in a sin-sick world, a corrupted world, everyone suffers to an extent from the brokenness. But what we're talking about specifically is why should we suffer for Jesus and his church? Why is it worth suffering for it? And I want to ask this question, what is the greatest thing you have suffered for recently? I went out, I had a couple of people who... uh, invited me to go on the last day of caribou hunting this last Friday. If you've ever been on a caribou hunt, especially in the winter, there's suffering involved. And we've got some good stories about that suffering. You go out for hours, cold, rain, snow. And while, yes, some people use the excuse that it's cheaper than buying meat at the store, I believe that is a lie. Um, <laughs> Because of the gas and the equipment and everything else involved, you actually are probably paying more for it. But it's worth it, isn't it? If you love hunting anyway. <laughs> for what? The, the meat, we love meat. The experience that comes out of it can often be really good. When you're able to get some guys and gals together going after animals, there's something about going through all that suffering together that cements an experience that's worth it. Or... Seminary, let's talk about that. Something that's worth suffering for, that it costs a lot. I went to the seminary in particular um, because I loved the, the ethos of it, the culture that they developed around it was something that I held valuable and dear, that they cared more about equipping pastors than they did about just filling you up with a lot of biblical information. But it came at a cost. It came for tuition, travel, time. But it was worth it for the camaraderie. It was worth it for this church in the training that I got from that seminary. So what is the greatest thing you have suffered for recently? I'm finding that there are more immediate things that I think are worth suffering for that get in the way of me leveraging and suffering for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. I mean, think about this. Jesus said in Luke 9, 25, I'm going to turn there. It'll be up on the screen. But in Luke 9.25, 
Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. There are plenty of people who are around the globe, brothers and sisters in Christ, people who are here even today that are suffering for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom and his message. And maybe you're here today and you're not sure about Jesus. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you're wondering in your mind, like, is it worth it? Is it actually worth doing the things that Jesus calls me to do, leveraging my life for his sake? We're going to look at that today. Being the church on God's term is the greatest prize we can fight for and that we can suffer for. Let me say that again. Being the church on God's term is the greatest prize we can fight for and that we can suffer for. So we're going to look at that today. We're going to ask this question, why suffer? And in diving into this passage, there's a couple things we're going to look at. First of all, starting with the right posture. Suffering to be on guard, suffering to persevere, and suffering to be on mission. So, let's start off with Matthew. We're looking at 24, verse 3. Starting with the first verse. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? This passage that we're reading is a fitting account for the book of Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. He pays attention to details. And if you read through this gospel account, which what that means is it's an account of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection... The account in Matthew pays attention to the details. You'll see often that Matthew is trying to prove that Jesus is who he says he is, that all of the Old Testament, all of Scripture at that point was pointing to Jesus in this time. Well, his disciples, they also read the Old Testament, and there were certain things that they were trying to figure out at that time. And, I mean, we can see this from the question, right? There's three things that they're asking. Tell us when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of the end of the age? And for them, as they look at their history as Israel, they have seen dramatic rescues where God has rescued his people from an enemy like Egypt, like Babylon, like all these scenarios where there's this physical empire that comes in, has taken over Israel, God comes in and rescues them. Well, at this time, when Jesus is there, Rome is the one who's in charge. So it's easy for them to think and expect Jesus has come. We believe who he says he is. Rome is going down. I mean, they, they followed Jesus for three years. They saw all the things that, that he was doing. And even in Matthew 19.27, Peter says, and it says this, Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus promised that, hey, you know what? When the new earth comes, when I renew this earth, you're going to have prominent positions. And from there, though, instead of having that posture of humility and trust and letting God do what he's going to do on his terms and following Jesus on his terms, they began to think about themselves. 
And so you get passages where they're arguing over who's going to be on Jesus' right hand and left hand. And they, and they set up false expectations. And I believe that we do the same thing. That we think we know God's mind better than he knows his mind. And so easily, especially when we're in suffering, we're asking that question, why? This wasn't supposed to be the way I wanted it. And we have to, like the disciples, begin to wonder, maybe I've been going the wrong direction. Maybe I've been thinking in a way that put me at the center rather than Jesus. And so right before this passage, we see Jesus dramatically confronting the Pharisees. I mean, he calls them out hard in Matthew 23. And at the very end, he says, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And right after that account, Jesus, in Matthew 24, 1 through 2, they're like walking out of Jerusalem. They're going by the temple, and the disciples are like, ah, look at how amazing this place is. And Jesus is like, truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. You see, what, the reason I read these two things, giving you context, is because their vision that they had constructed on their own expectations is now being shaken. They're, wait, wait a minute. Jesus is going to return at some point? Wait a minute. This temple isn't going to be here? Like, something's up. And so then at the beginning of our passage, in verse 3, what do they do? They come privately to Jesus. And they're like, hold on. When's this stuff going to happen? Can you give us a little more information on this? And so, when we approach this topic of suffering for Jesus and his church, we must approach in the right posture. We often want assurances from God that our suffering will meet our own expectations. And we want an assurance that it will be worth it on our terms. And so when we talk about this, when we talk about the church, we want to make sure that we're coming humbly. We want to make sure that we come with open hands. Because we can suffer in the church for our own pet projects. Things that look good on the outside, but they're really more about us than they are about Jesus and about the people we're serving. We can put our own details when God hasn't even given us those details. We start constructing this whole uh, mental idea of what God's going to do when he hasn't even given you that or me that. We need to have the posture that's communicated in Psalms 131, verse 1, where it says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. We have to remember that God is God and that we are not. In our suffering, the right posture is one where we come before Jesus and say, your will be done. Help me respond to suffering well for your sake. So when you encounter suffering or if you're encountering suffering, suffering for Jesus in his church, take a breath. Take a deep breath. Take a cue from Scripture and wait on the Lord. Remind yourself that God has the infinite picture, and we do not. If all Jesus had done was remove the Romans, we would still be captive under Satan's sin and death. So how do we suffer well for Jesus and his church? First, we must be on guard while suffering. Let's pick it up in Matthew 24, verse 4. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. 
For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So Jesus starts out in verse 4, and there's this little word called see. And in other translations, they use different words at that point or use an exclamation park it's like, or exclamation point. It's like saying, see, be on guard, be aware, don't be alarmed. Why? Because when we suffer for Jesus and his church, we often cannot be on guard. We're often not aware of what's happening, and we can easily be alarmed by the things that are happening around us. He's giving the disciples a specific instruction, but it goes beyond just his disciples and to what the disciples would form after he leaves. They would form the church. So these instructions he's giving his disciples are for when, in between the time, from when he rises up to he- rises from the dead, goes up to heaven, it's between that first advent and the second advent from when he comes. And we're right in that period right now. He's helping them give a broad understanding of what they would see. Think about some of these things. First of all, he says in verse 5, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. I am the Christ. If you didn't know, Jesus wasn't the first person to come on the scene claiming to be Messiah. If you look at history and what was going on, there were plenty of false messiahs that would come up saying, yeah, no, I'm the dude. And then it was pretty obvious after a certain amount of extent, nah, that wasn't the dude. It's similar to what we see today when we have someone who's um, like a televangelist or someone on, on the TV who's saying, hey, just give to our ministry right now and you're going to get blessing from the Lord. Just keep calling this number. And I had a friend who said that he called in once to one of those numbers. And he said, hey, I've got this great idea for your ministry just based on what I've been hearing. Why don't you give me all the money you've collected and I think you'll get a huge blessing from the Lord that will bless your ministry guy hang up on them. So false messiahs, people operating under the name of Jesus and leading them instead of to Jesus, leading them astray. Human destruction, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Sin continues to have its effect and it will run its course until Jesus comes back to bring a final end. Natural destruction, the earth is breaking apart but will be renewed from the time that we see where the disciples were to even now. I flipped on the radio yesterday and I heard in like almost all of these, especially the natural destruction and hearing about nations rising up against nations, you hear those. And even the false messiah, like you, if you've paid attention to what's been going on in the American church, there are so many leaders who've raised up saying, hey, we're gonna point you to Jesus but then something is corrupt in their life or their theology and it's proved that they've been leading people away from Jesus instead of towards him. I've heard about a spreading avian bird flu. I've heard about corrupt nations and wars, whether that's um, within East Asia, whether that's Russia and the Ukraine. Be on guard. To be on guard during suffering, we need to roll with the punches. So I've heard that term colloquialism, if you will, just this catchphrase that people will throw out there, yeah, just roll with the punches. And in my mind, because I'm not a boxer, I'm just thinking like you just sit there and just get hit by whatever life brings you. I actually found out it's a specific term and it makes sense for this passage. 
Uh, I found this as I researched it. It's believed this phrase originates from boxing. Rolling with the punches was and still is a boxing term. It refers to how boxers will often try to angle themselves in ways that will lessen the impact of incoming strikes. For instance, if an opponent throws a left punch, a boxer can roll with it by moving his body and head back and to the left. As a result, even if the punch lands, it won't be quite as damaging as a full contact strike. So think about it when it comes to us suffering for Jesus and his church. He calls us to be on guard. He calls us to be ready. He doesn't call us to be sitting on our butts spiritually, just waiting inside our houses until he comes back. He's like, no, get up, listen to what I've said, do what I've called you to do, and roll with the punches. And I mean, have you ever met someone in some, uh, whether it's a job or career or something like that, who's just a boss? Like nothing phases them. When they step onto the scene, doesn't matter what encounters, what surprise happens, they're able to roll with the punch. They're ready to move into action and do what they need to do. I th and this is what we're called to do. That as a church, we equip each other because what the devil seeks to do in suffering is to mislead us. I mean, whenever we've encountered hard times, our inclination within our flesh is to go seek something else out. Oftentimes, it's someone or something that replaces Christ. It replaces the place he needs to be within our life. We turn to false saviors, false comforts that we think will help us handle suffering for Jesus, and it doesn't work. The substitutes aren't enough. And that's why if you, follow, if you don't follow Jesus, and you're pursuing something else, you're suffering for something else, whether you're suffering for a job, whether you're suffering for, I don't know, trying to find happiness in this world apart from Jesus, it's going to run its course at some point. And you have to ask yourself, is it worth suffering for? So we're called to be on guard. Don't be surprised. Fight to keep Jesus as God in your life. And this is, this is why the spiritual disciplines are important. This is why they matter, not as some legalistic box checking. The reason they're important is instead of panicking. You see, we, we've been trying to teach our kids. We've got a five and a 10-year-old. We're trying to teach them, hey, when you're getting upset about something, you feel the strong emotions coming up, like, just take like three deep breaths, like, please. And of course, the answer is like, no, I don't want to do that, you know? And I do that as an adult. I, I don't listen to my own advice. I can be a hypocrite in that term, and I need to work on it. But God hit me with something the other day is where it's like, yes, breathe deeply, but this is why we memorize scripture. It's not just there so we can prove that we're like these super Christians. It's there that when we begin to panic, when we see all the things that are happening around our world and the disasters that are occurring, we remember the promises of God and we let that soothe our soul. Instead of letting busyness overwhelm our lives, maybe we need to simplify, remove things that aren't honoring to God or that we're investing our life in that's keeping us from investing in Jesus. Maybe we need to simplify and maybe we need to get some time alone. Get some time in solitude, away from the noise, away from the radios and our news apps and all these things and be able to listen to Jesus who is over all of this and listen to the truth. Get some time of solitude. And I know we, we got 
a lot of people who live busy lives. And it's easy to think like, I just don't have the time to be able to do it. And I would push back and say, no, I think you do. But you're going to have to be really intentional. And you might actually have to suffer in order to get to that place where you are able to have some solitude. Instead of seeing gathering as a church as an unnecessary burden, we need to see this as our opportunity to be on guard, to get equipped for the times when we are suffering, that we can actually help each other, whether it's through our small groups, our gospel communities, our Sunday gatherings, or even just gathering together for dinner, that we're concerned about each other, that we're praying for one another, that we're hearing our hearts and being able to lead each other to Jesus. Jesus and his church are worth suffering for, so we keep on guard and we're not distracted. We also have to persevere in suffering, so let's pick it up in verse nine. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So Jesus gets into more specifics. And some of these, especially the first one, I mean all of them really, he is talking to his disciples, the 12 disciples in that moment. Because if you know your history well, shortly after when Jesus leaves and his ministry is done, the disciples, most of them, are persecuted and are killed in brutal ways by people who don't love Jesus. And so Jesus was warning them right now, like, hey, this is going to happen. You're going to go through some pretty traumatic stuff. And it's easy when I'm reading this passage, especially growing up in the United States, growing up in a place where it's, we can gather here and not worry about someone breaking down the door or doing anything like that. You're like, man, like, I don't know if I can really relate to this passage. But I think we can when we start dwelling a little bit. It says many will fall away. People who claim to be followers of Jesus, but then they give up and turn completely away from following him. And I mean, we saw this in COVID in churches all across the U.S. I know this from other pastors that I was working with uh, at seminary, that all of a sudden when the pressure came in, outside pressure, a disease, just read about that, it pushed people to be like, man, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe it's not worth gathering at the church. Maybe it's not worth pursuing Jesus on his terms. Many will betray one another and hate one another. It's strong language, isn't it? But there's this thing called church hurt that all of us have gone through as we've gathered together with people who have a sin nature within them. And often we see this, right? Betrayals will happen. Hate will happen. Even within the church, we shouldn't be doing that. But honestly, most likely because we're not on guard, because our eyes are not focused on Jesus, those emotions will overwhelm us and we'll see those things happen. And so we suffer. And it's hard when we see these things happen within the church. And we wonder, man, is it worth it still to keep going even when I get hurt, even when I experience all these things? Is it worth it? False prophets will arise deceiving many people. We see this too. Just go on YouTube and look through it. Because you'll see people who go on there who are maybe not right in their theology. And honestly, it's a lot more entertaining to listen to someone rant on YouTube than to get into God's word. It's a lot easier, but this is worth more. And because we're not in the Bible more and we're not on guard, it's so easy for us 
to listen to someone and be like, oh man, that guy's got a really good point, but we don't take the time to actually look and see. Does it match God's word? And even, even if they're right, it will be good information. It can edify you personally. But the person behind the screen, you have no idea if they're living out what they're preaching, and they have no idea if you're doing it. Because that's the point behind us physically gathering together and doing this, is the preacher online can help you with your knowledge, but he cannot shepherd your life. We're here to do that together for one another. That's why it's important. Lawlessness will be increased, and the love of many will grow cold. We can see this in our country. You can see it in every country across the world, whether it's abortion, same-sex celebration, crooked politicians, weak and misguided churches that have placed culture above following Jesus, division between brothers and sisters in Christ, cult of personality where we care more about the way people appear than how they actually live. Like, it doesn't take much to step and see like, yeah, there's some crooked things going on in our culture today that are against God, his ways, his values as we submit to them. And because of that, because when lawlessness grows up, what it points to is that our loves are in a different place. It's no longer a love for Jesus. It's a love for something else. And I love that Patrick preaching last sermon when he was talking about why we serve. And he pointed out a video. It was a little embarrassing because it was a video from a long time ago. And um, I was maybe an unruly youth at that point when I was on camera. And he just made a comment about the energy and excitement of the church when we first started out. Because the, the way the, the guy who planted our church, Caleb Richardson, he always put it this way. He's like, when I started Radiant, it was like herding a bunch of rabbits. Like it was so hard to keep everyone in line and be like, yeah, follow Jesus. Don't be going way off in this direction. There was a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. But what happened since then? Well, I think one of the things is we've gone through a lot of suffering in a lot of different ways. You know, whether it's watching loves grow cold, whether it's watching lawlessness increase, betrayals, and other things that happen that are just part of the life of the church and what it looks like. Um, <laughs> even things like meeting at four o'clock. This wasn't by design. It, and it's frustrating and irritating at times. Whether it's the fact that our lead elder last year, he ran into some suffering. That his, because of disease and because um, of needing to move to a different climate, he had to leave this church. And it's frustrating. It's hard. And at this point, does this seem overwhelming? Why should we go through all this? I mean, this is, this is not a passage that initially you're like, oh, yeah, I want to go follow Jesus now. Why should we go through all this? It sounds like the worst kind of life you could live on earth might be being a Christian, except what's put at the end of verse 13. It says down there, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So I want to bring you back to thinking about the analogies I started out at the beginning. Hunting, seminary, these things that were like, it's worth it going through hell to be able to get whatever the reward is at the end that I am willing to put myself through suffering because I know the end is worth it. And because of Jesus, the end is worth everything. 
What does it mean to the one who endures will be saved? Simply that your life proves your belief. That if you have put your faith in Jesus, you're going to endure. Yeah, you you might get some knocks. You might get some bruises. You might go through a lot of things. But in the end, you will not be knocked down. You will persevere because the spirit is within you. Rolling with the punches is a metaphor for being on guard. But in the end, we are going to take hits. We are going to go through some pains. We might get knocked down, but we will not be knocked out. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10 says this, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. It's worth it because we're promised when we've gone through everything in this life, we have Jesus on the other side. We have a greater prize than we could imagine. You see, sometimes followers of Jesus, we like to do a couple different things. One is is we like to ignore the suffering. Like, let's just focus on the good. We'll focus on the good and follow Jesus. Or you can go into the complete opposite ditch where you're like, it's just going to be suffering and misery all the time. But I think what Jesus calls us to is like, yes, there's going to be suffering, but there's a reward at the end. There is a great prize, more than we could ever imagine. And that's why Jesus and his church are worth suffering. It's why it's worth persevering for. Because in the end, when he returns, he is going to deal with Satan's sin and death permanently. There will be no more tears. All the things that we've had to struggle with in this corrupt world will be dealt with, and we will get to enjoy one another in eternity forever. But if you're suffering for something else, if you're making the earth your greatest prize, you will be left with nothing in the end. And that's why, for us as believers, we are called during this time to be on mission, even while we're suffering. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This gospel of the kingdom, if you read the book of Matthew, it mentions this all the time, the kingdom that is coming. First coming within our, those who believe in him. God, the message of the gospel radically changes our life. It gives us new loves, new passions and desires. It actually gives us the right ones. What we were created for as humanity, designed by God, we were made for a purpose and Jesus restores that in us when he comes into our life. It's the point of our life. It's the point. If we miss the point of church and what God made for his people gathering together, we have missed everything. And his church is made to not only believe in the gospel, but walk the gospel out. This goes back to the very first sermon that we preached in this series. Why church? The church is Jesus' temple embodying his presence to minister to a world that's been separated by sin. The church is Jesus' kingdom, is fighting against the kingdom of darkness in our world. The church is Jesus' body, is displaying his radical love to those who desperately need it. Our suffering for Jesus and his church is not pointless. It's not pointless. It has the greatest point in all the world. We are bringing light into the world. We are like ushers, ushering Jesus back when he comes to put an end to all of evil. 
And our best and greatest example of how we live this out, like how do we live when we suffer? Well, we see it within Jesus. You see, before this passage, he warned his disciples three times that he would die, that he would suffer, he would die, and he'd rise again. So the last time, Matthew 20, 18 through 19, he says this. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Jesus, when he came onto this earth, he was tempted by Satan away from the path, and he chose suffering instead of ease. Jesus persevered even as mere humans mocked him while he hung on the cross and spit on his face. Jesus was brutally flogged, but instead of cursing his captors, he extended forgiveness towards them. Jesus went through all humiliation, death, and torment so we might have a pathway to be healed of our sin. And now our lives serve as his markers pointers towards others about the grace of Jesus. And here's the best part. Sometimes in our faith in pursuing Jesus, without realizing it, we leave Jesus upon the cross. And we do that with our suffering, where we almost are thinking in our minds like, I'm just going to have to suffer through it. I'll just grin and bear it, rather than thinking beyond the suffering in the moment. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he had in mind the resurrection. Look at Philippians 2. So don't leave Jesus just on the cross. Remember that he rose again, that there is hope, there is life. Even in the suffering that you're going through right now, there is an empty tomb. There is hope in a resurrected life, and we suffer for the greatest thing possible. Paul, in writing to his mentee, Timothy, his student, 2 Timothy 4, 5 through 8, he says, As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry, for I am already poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's the reward that we have. The reason that Paul makes that statement isn't because he's this guy who lived a perfect life. It's because his righteousness is Christ's righteousness. His faith is in what Jesus suffered and did on the cross. His faith is in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and he is living his whole life anticipating that Jesus will return. So in summary, when you suffer, for Jesus and his church. Be on guard. Keep holding to Jesus and his church. Persevere. Don't give up. Keep reminding yourself and other people of his promises. Keep fighting to follow his ways. Keep fighting to be the church that he's called us to be. And don't lose sight of the mission. Jesus gave his life to reach us, so we give our lives to see others saved. And here's the thing I want to end on. We don't suffer alone. 
so many times in suffering, whether we have frustrations with people within the church, we're suffering against people who don't like Jesus and they're bringing it against us outside of the church, we, Satan will work to get you to think that you're alone. He wants you to suffer alone. But that's what the church is here for. We can take punches better when we're doing it together. We can persevere when we're doing it together. We can suffer well when we suffer together. So I want to encourage you in a couple of, of ways as we leave from here, as we're talking about why suffer. The point of talking about this is we remember the greatest goal that we have, that we're looking forward to a time when Jesus returns and we want to run the race well. We want to live well according to what he's called us to. So who do you need to encourage this week? Who maybe do you know that's suffering right now? And maybe it's even beyond just suffering specifically for Jesus in this church. Maybe it's suffering from something else, someone who's in a weakened position. Who do you need to encourage, that you need to bring scripture to, that you need to pray over? And who do you need to ask for prayer because of your suffering? This is hard for us in our culture. We don't like asking for prayer. We'd rather handle it on our own because we're tough Fairbanks Alaskans. But we're kind of like that analogy with, the, with, with bullies where it's like the bullies are often the ones who are the most scared and who are in most need of help. They're just putting on a front acting like they're tough. And often we can do that in Fairbanks, Alaska, putting on a front like we're tough when we actually need prayer because we're suffering through things. And we need people to help us be on guard, help us persevere, help us keep focused on the mission. The other thing I want to encourage you in and leave you with is that maybe you need to spend some time right now and think through, have I gotten distracted? Have I gotten off guard? Have I given up on persevering and gotten focused on other things that are dragging me away from suffering for Jesus? Uh, as I think about my life, I'm still stuck with that question of asking, what am I suffering for so much? And maybe it's not Jesus and his church. Maybe I put other priorities in my life and they're just temporary things that don't actually matter that much. Bring that before the cross. Bring it to the feet of Jesus because he's waiting for you <laughs> And he is full of grace when we come to those moments. He's full of grace. Just like his disciples, sometimes we can get wrapped up in the exact timing of things or our own expectations, but Jesus is going to take care of that. He doesn't need us to know exactly when the end will come, but rather will we live a life that is worthy of the end coming. So why church? Because it's the greatest thing you could ever suffer for. And it's the greatest thing that Jesus suffered for. Let's pray. God in heaven, I just ask that you to take your words that are in these scriptures. Bring it home to our heart. We need it right now, Jesus. We're helpless without you. Even to desire to pursue you and to follow you, we need your help. We need your spirit. And God, I just pray that in the coming months as a church, when we go through different things and suffer different things, whether as a group or as individuals, that we roll with the punches, God, that we're on guard, that we're confident in the things that you've called us to do, that we are fighting to do them well together. God, help us to persevere when it feels like it's just unending, when it's hard to wake up each day and to move forward. Help us to remember what you did for us, Jesus, what you endured on our behalf, how you persevered. 
And God, help us not to forget the mission, that there is a great prize at the end, that this life is worth living for on your terms. Church is worth living for on your terms. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we have something that's worth suffering for, that we're not left purposeless and without hope or only just suffering for things that don't even really matter, that are only temporary. Thank you that you've given us something, that you've given us eternal life in you, Jesus, that you've given us a relationship with you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.